Welcome to the Grant Writing Simplified Podcast. This is the place to learn how to make a big impact in your community through grant writing and nonprofit consulting. The world needs you to step forward as a grant writer and use your skills to lead with confidence. I'm Teresa Huff, former special ed teacher turned grant writer and nonprofit strategist. In my 20 years of freelancing, I've helped nonprofits triple their funding and exponentially increase their reach. Now I'm stepping up to mentor freelancers and nonprofit leaders like you who are ready to take your skills to the next level. It's time to get intentional about your vision so you can create lasting change in your community. Learn the skills and strategies you need to become the grant writer the world needs. Let's do this. Hey friends, welcome to Grant Writing Simplified, episode 35. I'm your host, Teresa Huff, and this is part three in our nonprofit fundraising series. If you remember last week, I gave you over 60 fundraising ideas for your nonprofit, and more importantly, nine questions that you should be asking first before you even start. So go through those. You can even go back to that episode and download that PDF at TeresaHuff.com slash 34. Then a couple of weeks ago, Jason Adkins walked us through step-by-step how to find your first-time donors as a nonprofit. He gave us lots of great tips back in episode 33. Now today, I'm talking with a grant expert, Margaret Brazda Poirier. She is sharing the three C's for how nonprofits can thrive in a pandemic economy. This is a great conversation because we talk about this from both a grant writing angle and the nonprofit side of things. So if you are interested in grant writing or you're just not sure if now is the time to get started, listen in because we have some great conversation around that. And then we also talk about nonprofits and some examples of creative ways nonprofits have shifted, how they are kind of rolling with the punches this year, especially post-2020, how everyone is evolving and how grant makers are shifting as well. So we talk about the trends we're seeing and the latest best practices in the field for both grant writers and nonprofits. Lots of great stuff here. Margaret has her GPC certification, that's a grant professional certification, and she owns Grants for Good LLC. She helps nonprofit organizations and businesses find and get grant funding. She brings such a great perspective because she also has previous experience as a nonprofit executive director, and then she shifted into grant writing as well, so that helps her understand both sides of that equation. So listen in and be ready to learn and be ready to be encouraged because you might be surprised that with all the craziness after this year, the trends we're seeing are actually pretty positive. We referenced several resources throughout the episode. So as usual, you can find links to all of that in the show notes. All right, here we go. Margaret, welcome to the show. I am so excited to visit with you, and I've been dying to chat with you and hear more about your background and your work. So great to have you. Tell us a random fact about yourself. Hey, thanks, Teresa. I'm, I'm so glad to be here. I know we've been chatting a bit, so that this is really fun for me. Um, random fact about myself. Okay, here's one. I didn't even learn English until I was five years old. And here I am in a profession getting paid for my writing. So I wow. thought that was pretty funny. Um, <laughs> That's awesome. In fact, I, I moved here, our whole family moved here from Vienna, Austria, where I was born. And uh, my mother didn't know much English. So my dad was working as a tool and die um, worker. And my mom was home with me and my sister. 
and we only spoke German. So I started uh, learning English in kindergarten on the fly. And uh, it, it took me a while to get up to speed with the other kids, but here we are. Wow. Nothing like being thrown right in. You don't have any accent whatsoever now. That's amazing that you learned it so quickly. Well, I remember a linguist telling me it all has to do with the age at which you learn a language. So I, fortunately, I don't have a dialect or an accent in German, nor do I have one in English. So I've got those oh, two languages covered. Interesting. Now, if I try French, it's going to be ugly. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's all right. <laughs> that's pretty well-rounded, though, to be able to speak that many. Yeah, that's been fun. I'm glad my parents made us speak German in the home. It, it made mm -hmm. it so that I never lost it. Yeah, that's great. And yeah. that's, that's a skill that when you can speak another language, it's surprising sometimes when it comes in handy. It's true. And, and what's funny though, is with the, with the English, it, like I said, it took me a while to get up to speed. I love numbers. And so in my grant profession work, I love doing budgets. I've always been kind mm -hmm. of the math geek mm -hmm. and I really didn't start liking writing until somewhere around college. <laughs> so wow. I was definitely a late bloomer when it came to that. But. <laughs> well, that's good to have both skills. I know I talked to a lot of grant writers that say, oh, I don't like the budgets. I rather just write. So it's good that you have that math aspect. Yeah. yeah that's people important. are terrified of the budgets, but that's, that's yeah. one of my favorite things in the world. Yeah. Still well, that's great. Well, you have mm -hmm. such an interesting background of where you've been and getting to this point as far as your nonprofit work. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, sure. So I got into the grant profession very much by accident, just like probably by like you, Teresa. I, I love that you were a special ed teacher. Um, special ed teachers have a really, really warm place in my heart. You guys did, you know, do amazing things. But I feel like we all have a prior career before we get into this profession. So for me, I was going pre-med and I realized after working at a hospital, I don't like it. So I actually have my master's degree in environmental science and natural resource management. I worked in that field for almost 20 years and that's what started me grant writing is my very first job out of graduate school was doing this exciting watershed planning work and helping improve the water quality of Lake Ontario and the entire watershed where I live in Rochester, New York. Well, you know, I came out as, as a visionary, having all kinds of ideas, and then the hammer came down, there were budget cuts, and there was no money to do what we wanted to do. So I wrote grants by necessity. And lo and behold, I started getting some and I realized, aha, there's a real power to this. You know, you get the money in, you can do great things in your community, in your world. Well, fast forward, and I was executive director of a private family foundation here in Rochester, New York. It was the family that started Xerox Corporation. And I worked with them for several years and really got a feel for what it was like to give out grants, to be on the other side of that. So really, it was just serendipity when we adopted our son. I wanted to be home a little bit more, and I started Grants for Good in 2009, my grant writing company. What a great way to lead into that and to use those experiences. Yeah, it's it's been really helpful. In fact, the first few grants I wrote were really focused on science, technology, environmental work, uh, work on solar, biodiesel. 
And it's just expanded to um, things like uh, people with disabilities. You know, my son has cerebral palsy, so I, I speak that language. I, I know very much about special ed and, and disabilities. And then I have an interest in arts and culture. So I have a lot of clients from that category. And it's just mushroomed since then. I, I feel like there's so many nonprofit organizations that are doing amazing things, have great ideas. But they're already making a huge difference in our world, but they just need that help putting the plan into writing to convince funders that, hey, we're doing something great and you ought to be a part of that. Do yes. you find that, Teresa? I mean, that's really where, where the help is needed is making that strong case for support in a grant application. Yes. And really a lot of times they're on the right track, but it's just some subtle shifts and maybe some mistakes or strategies that they don't even realize they aren't tapping into. And if you just make those changes a little more strategically, it can be so much more effective. Absolutely. And that's why I tell people, I'm like, you know, grant writing, for me, it was intimidating at first. And so I understand it if it is, but it's it's not a big mystery, right? It's mm-hmm. a matter of having this really well-planned project, putting it into writing, and definitely having some skills in terms of how to phrase things, you know, how to develop your program budgets, how to work with funders you know, how to stand out in the competition, because there is a lot of competition. So there's, there's certainly a lot of skill involved, but boy, is it, is is it learnable? I had to learn it on my own, you know, and and now there's a a lot of resources out there. Yeah. It's amazing. I know when I started out, Google wasn't even a thing yet. So I couldn't look up online. There were no webinars to learn from, right? It it was hard. All I had was whatever library books might've been available. And then fortunately I had a mentor for a while that I could at least get started. But now like people could grab a course and they can fast forward so much more quickly. Yeah. They can literally learn from 20 years of experience from us. And and, and really I had learned by making mistakes. I remember when I wrote my first grant, this is funny. I got back a rejection letter right away. It was from the Ben and Jerry's foundation. So if anyone's listening from them, I love your ice cream, but I wish you had funded my project way back when. (laughs) They sent me this rejection letter. It was very kind, but I felt disheartened and I thought, oh my gosh, what did I do wrong? Well, I just kept getting grant proposals out there and really most of them came through with a Mm -hmm. yes which I realize now is a huge win. Right. You're going to get those denial letters and you learn from them. Yes. And I never contacted the funder. That was my biggest mistake. Yes. I didn't want to bug the foundations. And now I realize that's what they're in business to do. They want to hear from you. Exactly. About money. So I'm glad you said that because I did an episode a few weeks back on that very thing. Like that is the one thing that will make such a difference in your applications and your success. Absolutely. I think it might be the single biggest difference, actually. You know, I agree. I know for me, that was the game changer in being successful with grants. That was the one thing that really looking back, the ones that I had the most success with versus the ones we didn't get, that was probably the thing that made the difference. Yeah, same experience with that one. And, you know, I I wanted to point out what you said about your background started completely different and you didn't have formal training in grant writing, but your work experience led to this because I talked to so many new grant writers that say, I have no idea where to start. I don't have any experience. But when we start digging into 
their background on a strategy call. It's like, you know, you have this from your education. You have this work experience. You have that specific situation. You have all the skills right there that you need. You could run with this. And then it's like a light bulb of like, oh, wow, I do. Yeah. So I love that helping people uncover and realize what skills they already have to understand you're not yeah. starting from scratch. And here's the thing. Anyone can do this. Yes. I mean, like I said, it took me a while to catch up in the whole writing game, you know, given where I was from and my upbringing. Yeah. That's um, amazing. Anyone can do this. And it's just a matter of knowing the field, um, getting a few additional skills and really knowing how to stand out among the competition. Because you do get a lot of denial letters if you don't have a set structure and a step-by-step process in place. So I love walking people through it because they're doing amazing things. And, and I hate to think that someone's wasting time when there isn't a whole lot of time to waste, you know, especially now when you consider, you know, we've been in this pandemic for quite a while. It's hard to find funding. And I read a recent statistic. This came from nonprofit. Times, which some of you may get. Three out of five nonprofits cut their costs last year, and over half of nonprofits have to cut costs in 2021. And then I read another one that said anywhere from 11% to 38% of nonprofits will go out of business within the next three years, it, which I that's unacceptable, isn't it? I mean, I cannot think about a third of nonprofits going out of business. And the work that they're doing. So that spurred me to say, okay, we got to do something. You know, yeah, because their work is so important. And the, yeah. the cause they're trying to reach is still there. Whether or not yes. the nonprofit is working or not, those needs are still out there in the communities. So right. I really would like to dig into that with you today as far as the pandemic and what can nonprofits do and get some insights from your perspective of how they can stay afloat. Yeah, I would I would love to talk about that. If you go to my website, grantsforgood.com, there's a, a blog article I, I just recently wrote called The Three C's, the letter C, to thriving in a pandemic economy. You can check that out, but I would love to talk more about that with you today and really leave people with some very specific tips about what they can do now to not just survive this year of 2021, but to really thrive, to keep the doors open, to maybe even grow your programs. Yes. I know that's on everybody's mind right now. Of What are we going to do? And there's so much uncertainty, so many unknowns. So I think some concrete steps they can do will really help kind of reduce that overwhelm and feel like we're at least doing something instead of feeling helpless and wondering what's next. Exactly. And you know what? That first C is something we, we just were alluding to. So this is the nice coincidence. The first C is all about contact and contact with funders. And it's just what we were talking about is it's so important even now, even if you're not applying for grant application to contact your funders and start building those relationships. And chances are, you know, if you're listening to this right now, you're thinking, okay, Margaret, Teresa, I know this already. I know we have to contact funders, but what do we do now? And so here's what I suggest. Contact you know, the executive director of foundation, a program office, the federal grant that you want to apply for, and tell them three things. Update them on how you're doing. How is your organization doing? And don't be afraid to share the bad news or the challenges. They know it's out there. Secondly, tell them what you're doing. Maybe you have a stellar program you can highlight that is going really well. 
And third, tell them why you're still doing it. And I think that's the most important thing because maybe the work of your nonprofit is more important than ever right now just because of this pandemic or perhaps because of all that has come out about racial injustice. Maybe your work is more important than ever this year. And um, I can give an example. One of my clients works with women who have been affected by domestic violence and the sad fact is domestic violence has increased dramatically in this pandemic. You, you've probably read about this. Yes. In New York State, it's increased over 30%. Oh, my goodness. That is just heart-wrenching. It's horrible. It, it, you think about the isolation, people having to stay at home or working from home. And honestly, women affected by domestic violence that have been in abusive relationships sometimes work, getting out to work has been the reprieve where they can be themselves Yes, and they're not safe at home. And stress levels are higher. Extremely high. And so, you know, domestic violence has definitely increased. And, and the organization I'm working with to help find grants, they have had a 40% increase in a need for services, therapeutic services. That's powerful. It is. And I'll tell you, their executive director leads with that statistics in every single communication with funders. She tells people they've had a 40% increase in need for services. And because of her passion and the way she phrases her communication, we've actually gotten, and I kid you not, we have gotten five times more in grant funding than we did last year. Wow! So I'll give you the numbers. We raised about $70,000 in 2019. And in 2020, we finished with over 300,000. almost. That's incredible. Yeah, it is. And it was great because she could hire extra therapists and increase group therapy programs. It's made a, a huge difference. That's so amazing. And that's just a testimony to, I've heard a lot of statistics that some nonprofits really are staying fully funded, that it's not dropped, that people still want to give. They see the need. Do. Donors are still out there. So we don't have to assume that just because things are crazy, people aren't going to give. Sometimes they are. They just need the opportunity and to know what the need is and what you will use it for, what the demand is now. That's right. And that's why that contact with funders is important. But what's even more important is what is your communication with them? So, you know, give them some facts about what's going on in your organization or what's going on with your target audience, because then you can make that really compelling case. And Teresa, you know this too, this applies to um, all foundations, not to state and federal grants, but it applies to foundations. Foundations have to give out at least 5% of their annual assets to charitable causes. So why shouldn't your nonprofit be part of that? You know, they have to give that money out. And what I think is phenomenal, the stocks ended really well in 2020, much to everyone's surprise. Foundation assets increased and they're still increasing. So that's good news for us because that means our clients, nonprofits out there, there's money there for you. So, right. so grab it, <laughs> yes. it to help your community. Yes. Keep going after it and working hard. And what I've seen with my clients firsthand, the foundations that we work with, but also I've heard from others too, is that the foundations seem to be very understanding and the grant funders are willing to work with them. They know that it's hard right now, and especially with COVID issues, but just in general, that they are willing to work with you. But I think the key is being proactive with that communication to let them know that, hey, we're struggling with this. 
or we're working on this, but we have this hurdle. Can we get an extension on that report? Or can you work with us on this budget to adjust some numbers around based on the emerging needs right now? And they are, they are more than willing to work with us on that. So I think just if someone is struggling with that, just be encouraged that the communication, I agree with you. That's a big key. Yeah. I've even seen some foundations say, you know what, instead of submitting the full grant application this year, we've we've boiled it down to a, a one-pager. I mean, that's kind of rare, but yeah. <laughs> once in a while you get that. Hey, grab it. Or they might fund your uh, general operating costs, which, hey, that's what everybody needs right now. Wouldn't that be just a nonprofit's dream to have all yeah. kinds of grants for that? I would like to see the trend shift to more of that because I know nonprofits, you have to have funding to operate. And I understand why funders don't, but it would be nice if they would fund more of that to let the nonprofit determine where can this best be used. Yep. That would be a great direction in which to go. And you know, that kind of brings me to the second C, which is consistency. If you want to get those general operating funds, your program funds or or capital costs, even you have to consistently apply to grants. And in my all about grant writing course, I always teach people, make sure you have a calendar or schedule where you send out one or two grant applications a month. If possible, send out three, but make sure you've got one or two funders that you're going to apply to every month. And the reason I say that is we know, you know, if you've even written one grant, you know that it can take three to six months before you ever hear back, right? Yes. It can take a while. Yes. So if you apply to a couple of foundations or state or federal grants every month, then you have a steady stream of revenue coming in after a while. You really will. Building that pipeline. Exactly. And it will just start to run itself. I mean, to the point where those, when you first start, boy, does it take a lot of time developing that first grant application. And then after a while, you know, you can kind of borrow from some of your past grants, cut paste them into into new ones. There's always a lot of customization that has to take place, but that one or two grants a month starts to become a smoother process. And you do start to get a pipeline of funding coming in the door, which, you know, that becomes very helpful. Yes. And I agree with that because at first it does take time to figure out your wording, figure out collecting all the information and data you need. But then after that, it's more a matter of refining for each application and tailoring that and then making sure everything is staying up to date. But it does become a lot easier and more manageable after you get that first initial few rounds behind you. It does. And I think people are hesitant to even start the grant writing process, partly because, you know, they're already feeling so overwhelmed. So many people I speak with say, I I just feel so overwhelmed. Where do I start? And it's not just through work, but, you know, Teresa, you and I were talking earlier about, you know, kids at home, online learning at home, things getting in the way. We all deal with that. And so that sense of overwhelm is coming from a lot of different areas. And when you have to add one more thing to work, It can be tough. So you just need someone to walk you through the process. You need to know that this is something you can do, that it's one of the things that's going to really literally pay off. Yes. (laughs) You know, it will pay off. And much faster if you have that support initially. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I definitely encourage people to get started. If you want to hire a grant writer or a grant professional, go for it. 
If not, online course, there's material available to help you or your staff or even a board member get right into this. Yes, exactly. And that's one thing I like to point out is just if you're going about this not knowing what you're doing, you can do more harm than good by making mistakes or setting your nonprofit up with a bad reputation with funders because you're making some of those mistakes that you just, you don't know. And when you're new, you don't realize that that's not how you should handle that thing or how you should present the information. So just making those small tweaks and kind of fast forwarding your skills in that regard can really help. Absolutely. And you know, if you're you're with a nonprofit, you're listening to this right now and you say, well, yeah, I don't have money to do it either. I can't hire a grant professional. I can't buy an online course. Mm-hmm. So, and I don't have time. Right. I do have a quick free guide. I know it will put the link in, in this later on, but I have a, a free download on my website, Grants for Good. It's called Seven Steps to Grant Success. And it's really the seven steps I use to just generate millions for my clients. So you can you can pop in there and download that freebie also um, after this. I, I know I just want to leave you with a couple resources since, you know, when this call's over, it's over, but <laughs> you can check those things out. Yeah, but that's just a simple place to start. And, you know, take that first step and just start simple and then take the next step. You don't have to learn grant writing overnight and you can't. It takes time, yeah. but just start with that first simple step. Yep. You got to do it. Okay. So here's the big third C. You, you all are in suspense. I just know it. <laughs> yes. What is it? This one is congruency. Okay. So congruency defined means the quality of agreeing or being suitable and appropriate. But here's how I look at it. Congruency is simply this. You just want to align with a funder's mission, passion, interest. That's it. So that saves you a lot of time. If what you're doing aligns directly with what that person, that foundation or that federal grant is funding, then you've got that first step in the door. Now that may seem like common sense, but I'll tell you, I've noticed two big changes in funding and and it relates to mission. And I bet you, you've noticed these two, Teresa, two big things last year, and it's, it's even changing this year. The first one is kind of the obvious one is there's been COVID-19 relief funding to buy things like PPE, to help food banks, housing, rent, really critical things to keep people alive, basically. But I've seen in 2021, that's continuing, but it's expanding. I work with arts and culture organizations that now there's COVID relief funding for opening up your arts and culture program again, for doing online you know, youth theater programming or even funding to get, you know, your theater expanded or to to make it so that people can come in again and watch shows. And I've gotten funding for after school programs too. So I feel like that's expanding a little bit, which I think is good news for a lot of organizations. Yes, it is. Because I know a lot of those for a while was just, we can't do anything. So it's good to see that shift that people are recognizing and wanting to help them get up and running again, at least in some limited capacity. Yeah. And let's face it, it's hard to ask for grant funding when your program has been stalled. For yes. That reason. So it's yes. nice to have funding that helps you reopen or increase your program. Yes. And I agree with your point on congruency, because that's another big reason when I've had success with grants is really making sure upfront is this a good fit? And if it's not, then it's not worth our time to apply. But if it is, then that's one that you definitely want to start building the relationship with. Yeah. 
Okay. And because I'm a numbers geek, I got to throw this one at you. Okay, good. Let's have it. 87,000 foundations in the US alone. 87,000 grant making foundations. So I know one or more of those is going to be a great fit for our listeners. Yes. But at the same time, that's kind of scary. How do you narrow that down? So (laughs) that's a whole nother course. We can do a whole nother episode on that. There's good news. There's money out there. There's always money out there. Yes, I agree. And you know, when you first said congruency, my thought along those lines was with your application, making sure that each section, each budget item, each point in your program design, your goals and objectives, making sure there's congruency across the application. That's one thing we've been talking about in my group coaching program lately is just really making sure it all aligns. You don't want some random point or some random budget item that you haven't already addressed. It needs to really align across the whole application. So when you said congruency, that's what popped into my head. You know, I didn't even think about it that way, but I love that. And it's true. Yeah. The budget has to absolutely match with everything, every activity, everything you plan to do, every outcome. So there's some words we're throwing at you. (laughs) (laughs) Right. That's that's a neat way to look at congruency. And then the, the other big change I've seen started last year, continues this year, is that of funding more nonprofits and programs that address diversity, equity, and inclusion, and really focusing on eliminating injustice. Yeah, I've seen that a lot more too, and a lot more training and awareness need for that. When I interviewed Heather Burright a few episodes ago, she really works with organizations on that specifically just to help with that training and help with the HR side of that to evaluate and make sure that organizations, companies, nonprofits are really making the most of that and getting people engaged. Well, and that's the thing is, you you know, as a nonprofit, our listeners might be saying, well, that's not absolutely the focus of our work. And, and maybe it is, but I would argue that it easily could be. For example, a, a youth theater program that I work with, it's K through 12 kids. It's their first time on stage, you know, practicing and performing musical theater. And it wasn't a very diverse group at all. And so what they're doing is they have a program where they're partnering with two other theater groups, one of which is focused primarily on African-American issues, and the other one is focused on uh, Latino, Latina. And how interesting that the three of them are going to work together on productions. It's just going to be a win for everybody involved. Right. And, you know, even just a whole different aspect, I've been working with a client who really focuses on people with autism and how to help them integrate into society and, you know, job skills, interview skills, things like that, and how they can be amazing employees. But it's just that interview process that's a hurdle of getting past some of those issues. And so, you know, there's all kinds of ways to start incorporating that into our organizations and the operations of that. There really is. And it it does build a strong organization. I know, you know, I think back on my master's studies in environmental science, you know, if you look at basic ecological principles, the more diversity, the stronger an ecosystem is. If you have all of one plant species, all you need is one bug, you know, to chew up those plants and wipe out the whole ecosystem. You know, it'll kill all the trees, for example. But the the more diverse a forest or an ecosystem, the stronger it is and it's resilient. And I just feel like the same could be said of our work. So true. Yes. And that's partly, I think, why I enjoy 
grant writing is because I have worked with different clients in a variety of work that they're doing, different focus, and you know, coaching different grant writers because their passions are unique. And so maybe they enjoy something that doesn't quite resonate with me as much, or I don't have as much experience in that area, but I can train them and then they can go out and do the work in that specific topic. Exactly. And and that's the neat thing about this profession really as a whole. And, and, and I encourage anyone listening, you know, if you want to jump ship and become a grant professional, I just feel like there's a ton of work out there for us. And, <laughs> yes. and we need more trained grant professionals in the community, in the world. Yes. Um, it, it is so interesting because we aren't just writers. You know, we do budgets, we help with the planning. And I think that's where that's where our real passion often lies is we help organizations get to their end point of really making a difference in their community. Yes. And it's, sometimes you're so close to your project that it's hard to see all the steps involved. And, and that's the exciting part is, you know, using our brains to help with that kind of planning process and strategy. Right. Yes. I Fun. love that part of it. I've realized it's more successful when we back up and really look at that strategy and make sure, are you ready for grants to begin with before you start applying? And then how can we approach it strategically and creatively? And that's where it's fun. It's more than just, like you said, more than just research and writing. It's really to be the most successful, you need to look at that whole picture. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So there, there's three C's. I hope you, uh, <laughs> hope you find those helpful. And, yes. Um, oh my. And those just, are you so know, good. As Bob Dylan says, keep on keeping on. <laughs> you <just laughs> gotta keep going through this. I, yes. I almost feel like, you know, I woke up uh, this morning before our podcast, Teresa, and I thought to myself, those three C's, contact, consistency, congruency, I feel like they apply to our personal lives too. You know, I need to have contact with my friends and family even through this. Yes. Um, you know, I need that consistency, the routine to stay on track and, and congruency. Well, you know, if we're not uh, aligned with our own mission, our own personal mission, it's, it's a rough life. So I, yes, I that's feel so like true. They, they, they sort of resonated with me personally too. Yes. And our discussion of congruency, it's like there's almost an internal and an external congruency because of with the grants, what we were saying of making sure the application itself aligns, but then what you were saying about with the funders and making sure it's a good fit. So just in our lives as well, I agree. There's so much overlap. I was talking to my coaching group about that the other day of, yeah, we're here to learn grant writing, but really it's also about your life and what you want your life to look like. And some of those mindset things, because it is, it's messy, it overlaps and you have to take that into account when you're considering where you want to go with your grant writing career. Oh, that's, oh, we could have a whole nother conversation on mindset. I oh, think it's great that that's part of your coaching program because it's so key in, in this work as well to, to have the mindset where you don't get discouraged and where you know that what you're doing makes a difference and you, you just have to keep going. Yes. Yes. That's a big key. And just to keep at it. So as we wrap up, this has been so good. And I know you probably have tons of things to share with along this question, but share what's one resource that has been meaningful to you in your journey. You know, I I think for me, it's been a combination of resources. Here's my one resource. It's my peers. I feel Mm. like the other grant professionals like you, like the folks I've met at the Grant Professionals Association conferences for the last you know, 12 years, I feel like my peers are my resource because 
sometimes this can be kind of a lonely profession. You know, yes. I, I do have a team of, it, it's me and four others. So we have a team here at Grants for Good, but you still can feel like, wow, you're alone out there trying to get funding for these clients, or, or, or maybe you're the only grant writer at your nonprofit. Mm-hmm. So I feel like relying on peers, I feel like that's been a, a big thing. That's so true. And now there's so much more ability to do that than there used to be, because I know I was the same way for years. I felt like a solo show and it was hard to just bounce ideas or, Hey, are you struggling with this too? I can't figure this out. There was nobody to really ask those questions. And now it's amazing. The resources that are out there and the connections we can make, like you and I never would have met if we hadn't had the online world to be able to connect. Yeah, exactly. We're several States apart, (laughs) right? Half the country apart from each other. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But it's so good. And I mean, I, it feels like now we're, colleagues, I could reach out to you and say, Hey, what do you think of this? Or are you having trouble with this thing in your application? What did you do? And you know, it's it's great having that network or being able to refer people frustrated with word count and online applications. Yes. (laughs) What do you do? I chopped everything I can. The struggle is real. (laughs) Well, and speaking of building our network, where can people find you online if they want to connect with you and start a conversation? Sure. Uh, well, I think the easiest thing would be is just go to my website, grants, the number four, good.com, grantsforgood.com. Uh, download my free guide, Seven Steps to Grant Success. Um, and I that should put you on my email list and you'll know all about upcoming webinars and everything else that's going on. I, I like to share some tips. I won't flood you with emails, but I do want to provide some good content to folks. So um, jump into that. Um, and, and one of my courses all about grantwriting.com is it's just a self-paced online course. And it's 20 years of my experience dumped into one online course for people to use as they will. And there's also a contact page on my website where you can just reach out to me directly and, and we'll continue the conversations. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. This has been so practical and helpful. And I hope nonprofits will take this and be encouraged by it to just keep going and keep at it and know that... The funding is out there. It's just a matter of building those relationships and staying consistent with that. Exactly. We're all in this together for sure. So thanks for having me here, Teresa. It's just been a real pleasure. I appreciate that. Are you ready to learn more? I have a quiz called, Do You Have What It Takes to Be a Grant Writer? Hop over there and take that and see what your results say. Go to TeresaHuff.com slash quiz. If you love this show and you learn something new about being the type of grant writer the world needs so you can create a ripple in your community, please go leave me a review over on Apple Podcasts today. Thanks for listening. Now go change your world.